things for us. And then when he doesn't come through the way we want him to, we need to begin to realize that the trust that we have, the trust that must be developed is, is that everything that he does for us is good for us. And if we don't get that, then we're going to be frustrated. But if we begin to recognize that, then wow, what a, what a wonderful avenue that has been opened in our worship time. And uh, Diane, there's like five Dianes here. So Diane Bradley, glad to have you back from uh, New Zealand. She was gone for far too long. I don't know if she feels that way, but uh, for us, uh, she was gone far too long. But I'm glad you made it back. Glad you found us again. Uh, now, you, you, you were able to watch online. Well, we don't want to talk about th- that. We're, that. No, we've been working on it. What now? <laughs> well, but how wonderful. And uh, those of you that are watching um, online, yeah, please let us know, as you have been, how things have been going. So we can make sure that we're providing this for you, because I know you, those are, there's so many that want to connect and want to be able to be here, but health issues and distance and such makes it tough. So I'm glad we're able to do this. I'm thankful for our tech team and uh, helping keep this going. Uh, Mark chapter 8, would you take your Bibles and turn there, please? Mark chapter 8, um, in verses, we're going to look at verses 1 to 21. I'm going to start reading it in verse 11. We'll cover the whole territory, but I'm going to start reading it in verse 11. And the way we do things here is that we honor his word. This is our authority, so let's stand together and see what God has for all of us this morning. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 11, going to verse 21, says this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, and he got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And when he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousands, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you? May God add his blessing to his holy and perfect word. Let's, let's be seated. I'm sorry, some of you threw me off, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm reading this passage, and I look up, and there's sometimes when it's so self-evident what the point of the passage is, and everybody's like, oh, okay, that's nice. I looked up this time, and I think half of you were like, that was the look. What? What's, what's he doing? What's he talking about here? That's good. That's good because I think Jesus um, has a way because sometimes I think we look at Jesus and we think, well, Jesus is always polite, always kind, always this and always that, and always easily understood. And then, oh, that's nice. This is nice, gentle Jesus. But then sometimes we come across a passage like this and we know that Jesus never sinned. So there, there's something going on here 
that we need to really dig into because um, I think we're in this passage a lot as far as Jesus always bringing us back to the same spots over and over again and us not learning our lessons. And I think sometimes he looks at us, how long is it going to take you? Are you going to get it? Do you really understand what's going on? I want to just ask this, and, and, and if if you haven't been in any of these um, particular areas that I'm talking about, it's, it's, it's no shame at all. We're just, I'm just trying to get an idea. So how many of you have ever been a teacher in school, regardless of the age, regardless of the age bracket? How many of you have ever been a teacher in school? Okay, how many of you have ever been a supervisor? How many of you have ever been a parent? How many of you have ever been a, a, a pet owner? Okay. How many of you in any of those areas that I talked about, and you're in that supervisory position, authoritative position, you have asked yourself, why don't they get it? Right? Okay, maybe not. Maybe, maybe you've been such a great teacher and you've always had such great employees and kids and, and, and students or whatever, and they end up getting it. But I tell you, there's been times when I'm sure that those of you that have been in those positions and you're trying to get across a point, I didn't mention pastor, right? But you're trying to get across a point. You're trying to get across something and you think you're doing such a great job with it and, and explaining it and such, and you, know, and you say it over and over again. And in fact, we've been finding this out with our mission statement. Somebody said that the principle now is when they get sick of hearing about it, that's when comprehension happens, right? And so we're we're wanting you to get sick of something so that hopefully it'll drill down and be able to get to the 3 a.m. point. But Or if I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you get it. The whole point of all of this is that we spend a lot of time getting really frustrated because we're like, why don't they get this simple principle? Well, before you start getting into that, and before you start getting frustrated as a supervisor why they don't get it, I want you just to consider maybe some of the things that may have come across you when you've been laying awake at night, and there's no TV to distract you, no spouse to speak with you, no phone when you actually put the phone up at night, and, you do all, and you're just laying there, and it's, you're there with your thoughts, and God comes along, and he's reminding you of things that you messed up on again. That word that you said, that thought that you thought, that place that you went, that thing that you watched, that all of this, and he's constantly reminding, and he's reminding you of this, and you're like, oh, because he's bringing you to that same spot over and over again. Well, imagine him up in heaven, and he's saying, I keep bringing them to the same spots. Why don't they get it yet? And when we see the the patience that God has for us. We may actually be so arrogant in thinking that God doesn't have to be that patient with us. We're such a good little boy and girl. We have so, we're, and, and we're so much better than those people over there, whoever they are, fill in the blank. We're so much better than them. Well, God doesn't have to work very hard on me. He's, he doesn't have to really be that patient with me. I don't give him that much to work with. Really? I'll tell you this, and this happened to me earlier this past week where I actually had that thought of, I've, I've kind of got it. Kind of got it figured out. Mm. And I tell you, the light flipped on on a lot of things, but, it, but what a gracious God we have. 
that he's so patient with us to let us know. And, and that he comes along and helps us to be able to, to fix it. So what, what, are we going, what are we dealing with here? So in, in Mark 8, verses 1 to, is it 10? 10. So we see a, a very familiar passage. So in Mark 6, 30 to 44, it says that Jesus fed the 5,000. Now in Mark chapter 8, verse 1, it says, if you have those subtitles there, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Right. Now, big difference, right? 5,000, 4,000. Well, there, there are some differences here. Now, some scholars who try to be really clever, they're trying to say, well, Mark was just repeating the same story again. Well, he wasn't because if you, if you remember what I read to you earlier, well, Jesus referred to the two different issues. There's, there's some differences here. If, uh, like, just say you look at um, verses 1 to 3, in those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I send them away hungry, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. So the difference now is before the other passage, they were only with him one day. Here they were with Jesus three days. Three full days they had had nothing to eat. But both, he was showing how he has compassion on the people. He wasn't annoyed that they were there. You know how sometimes when you're in, you're in the middle of something, you're trying to get something done, and maybe you have that thing that may happen. You're, oh, I'm trying to get this done. What's going on? Jesus never did that. Jesus never said, oh, I got this thing to do and someone's bothering him. Nobody ever bothered Jesus. The only people that really bothered Jesus were people that thought they had it figured out, Pharisees, thought they had it all figured out, and then that's when he got bothered, which we'll see in a little bit. But then, so, but the disciples now are in the same spot. The, and the other difference was is that these folks, the 5,000 were in Israel. This was in Gentile land. So God was on the move in Gentile land and showing what was going to be happening. And so it's, it's pretty much the same story, except one had 12 baskets, the other had seven baskets and such. But here's, here's point number one is that Jesus, well, here's the question for you. Do you see the extent of his power? That Jesus can actually move, and Jesus is actually moving outside of our little group. Well, he can only move among us. Oh, really? No. He's, he's on the move all the time. Look at Asbury. Look at how the, 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 these revival fires seem to be going to all of these Christian colleges now. We're praying that they're going to now go to these secular universities where, they, where the, the Christians have been so oppressed and they wonder, is there any hope that we can have? Is there any influence that we can have? And God, God will move on secular universities just as much as he will use, move on, on Christian universities. I believe that we will see that. But Jesus is, is bringing his disciples back and he brings us to, back to, do you really see the extent of what he's doing? Do you really see the extent of his power? Now, when, when we talk about this, crowds don't equal a faithful, committed congregation. Do, 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 we, do we realize that? Because sometimes we look at the big crowds that may be around certain preachers and we think, well, because there's more, then that means there's more faithfulness and that's not necessarily true. A crowd does not necessarily equal a committed congregational core. And so Jesus, back in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, you know, there's, there are people that were starting to follow Jesus. And Jesus said to them, when he was in, said here, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We're going to see signs later on. 
when they saw the signs that he was doing. But it says, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him for he himself knew what was in man. He knows what's going on in you. He knows the thoughts that you're drifting to. He knows the activities that you're involved with. He knows all about you. He knows what you're going to do before you do it. He knows what you are going to say before you say it. And again, that's why when we come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is not a big eraser. Oh, I got to make up for it. No, the Lord's Supper is for you to move forward. I see what Jesus did for me. And so now I'm going to repent of those things so I can move forward well. Not to just simply, oh, I really blew it, blew it, blew it, blew it, but I'll do the Lord's Supper and then erase, erase, erase. And then I go right back to it. Come on. That's taking for granted all that Jesus did on our behalf. And we have to make sure we see this. The extent of Jesus' power was that he could provide and he would provide. Any of you worried about where, your, where the next money's coming from? Any of you worried about where that next job is going to come from? Any of you worried about where, this, where the next this or that are, are, is, is coming from? You know, Jesus t- at times and, and many times brings us through these storms. And when he brings us through them, we, we need to remember that he brought us through them. Because what happens is he brings us through the storm and then we kind of go on our, on our way and then another thing comes up and we forget. And then we start worrying all over again. And that's what's going to end up happening when these disciples, they were so worried about, we only got one loaf. We only got one loaf. And Jesus, not to get too far ahead, but Jesus is like, do you just see what I did at the 5,000? Did you just see what I did with the 4,000? You're worried about a loaf? And, and, and so, well, well, Jesus wouldn't have talked like that. He would have talked in a really reserved British accent like they have on PBS. That's how they would have done and I don't know about that. I really don't know about that. I think, I think Jesus, I think he, he still remained sinless, but still got frustrated. I, I believe that, but we'll, we'll get to that. So that's, number, that's, that's, that's the first thing here is he's showing us his power to provide in every single way. Here's the second one. And here's the question for you. Because he preserved this for us to have the Spirit shine his light on us to see. Number one, do you, do you yet seek more proof? Has Jesus not done enough for you? Has, do you feel like he hasn't given you enough information? Well, now we're getting to the Pharisees, which is where we started off in reading it. And, and the Pharisees here, verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, when I think of tests... What do you think of tests? I think a number of things where it's a little trial that you're going through, but I also think of, I'm going to take a test. You know, it could be, a, it could be essay, pulled out the blue book, the Scantron, multiple choice, you know, you, and you start taking a test and, okay, are you, Jesus, are you going to pass my test? Here's my, here's my criteria. Are you going to pass the test? And I think we, I really think we do that a lot. You know, Lord, this is what I'm expecting. And that song that was just saying, I expected you to move those mountains. I expected you to do this. I expected you to do that. And then if he doesn't do what we expect him to do, we get angry. We get upset. How in the world could you not follow through, Lord, on what? I mean, of course what I wanted to have happen was the right thing to do. So we don't, the only time we pray is when we're being bossy to him. And we're trying to tell him what to do. 
Rather than we got to pray, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know what's going on. And he's going to continue to bring you back to that point where you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happening. So he's going to bring you back to this point where there's full reliance on him. And so we look at this. The testing here is a harassment. Have you ever been harassed and harangued by somebody? That's a good day. That is a good day when someone gets a bee in the proverbial bonnet, a a thorn in the proverbial side, a burr in the proverbial saddle. Uh, That's why we have all of these pictures. And someone will come and talk to you, and they are upset about it. And they don't want to hear an answer. They just want to just let you know, let you know, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you. What are you doing, what are you doing, what are you doing? And so they're talking to him. And then they are, they are asking for a sign from heaven to test them, a sign. Well, they had seen everything that Jesus had been doing. But in Mark 3, I believe it's in verse 22. Yeah, in Mark 3, 22, they had seen everything that Jesus had been doing. And some of you skeptics here, you've seen a lot of what Jesus has been doing. You see it. But this is what they were attributing those things to. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, Lord of the flies. Lord, the, he, is, he is by the prince of demon, demons, he casts out demons. And of course, Jesus is coming along. Abraham Lincoln didn't come up with this. It was Jesus. A house divided against itself can't, can't, you know, can't stand. Je, Satan's not going to cast out demons. Satan's not going to undercut his own work. And the Spirit's not going to undercut his own work. So what's going on here is that they, were, they saw everything that Jesus was doing, but they were like, ah, that's of the devil. Or, ah, that was just a coincidence. Whatever, come on. And they were explaining it away, explaining it away, explaining it away. They were so smart. Were they? No, they weren't. And so that's why Jesus says, why does this generation seek a sign? In other words, what, what more do you need? What more do you need? What that old hymn, what more have, can he say than to you he hath said? Uh, what, what more do you need? Well, I, I've done miracle upon miracle upon miracle. I've calmed the seas. I've raised the dead. I've healed the leper. I have, I have, I, I've, I've administered this woman who had the issue of blood. I raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. And over and over and over again, what more do you need? Well, I need a little more. I need this sign. Why? Because they wanted him to prove that he was truly God. And he's like, okay. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He didn't stand and argue with them anymore. He had already done that. This was a transition. The cross was coming. He left them, got into the boat again, and he went on the other side. Are you got, are some of you looking for more proof. Yeah, he's done this and 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 done this. And he's done this over and over and over and over. And he's done this and done this. But if he just do this one more thing, how much more do you need? The tomb is as empty as it's ever going to get. The cross has already done every bit of its effect that it can do and will do. What more do you possibly do? I need one more thing. Come on. Do you, is it ever going to be enough for you? Is it ever going to be enough? Because one day, you're going to run out of those opportunities. And then what? 
Number three, here's a question for you. Do you often miss his point? That's why we need each other, right? That's why we have Sunday school classes. Some of you need to get in Sunday school. Um, go to bed a little earlier, get up a little earlier, come to Sunday school. So that you can have those opportunities to be able to get around his word and ask those questions so that you're making sure that you're never missing, or you're, you're less likely to miss the point again of what Jesus is trying to tell us. Some of you, I mean, be in church and be in church and be present. Engage in what the word is being said so you're not missing the point of what's happening. Because if you're in and out, then you're going to hear a little something that I'm saying. Well, Pastor Matt said that, and I may have been just quoting someone that shouldn't have been saying that, but you thought it was attributed to me because we may not be engaged. And be, be engaged, be all in when Jesus is saying something because, listen, we're these disciples. Okay, so Jesus had, had, just, had just fed the 5,000. Jesus had just fed the 4,000. Lots of loaves, lots of scraps multiplied, lots of, lots of loaves multiplied, lots of fish multiplied. Everybody was taken care of. Everybody was fulfilled. Everybody was satisfied. Tummies were full. They were going to be able to make it back home. Everybody was doing good, and he did this twice, once in Israel land and once in Gentile land. And we see in verse 14 the concern. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. I'm going to add this part. And they were most distressed. Most distressed. We only got one loaf. Okay. So Jesus starts talking. Watch out for, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And what did they say? Well, he's talking about the loaf. Okay. Two things here I, want to, I just want to share with you. One, one time we were, when we were doing, some of you may remember the old youth camp's mission fuge. There was centrifuge, and then there was mission fuge, and mission fuge, where we would be broken up into these areas, and we would go out into the neighborhoods, and we would start um, talking of, uh, and, and ministering to people. And what they were, one of the exercises we had was, you know, some way through our little group, a, a basketball. Okay, I want you to try and share, find a way to make a connection with the gospel with a basketball. Okay, well, Jesus is our goal in life, and Jesus, you know, there's a net that he used with the fish, and there's a basketball. I mean, we were just scrambling. You know, the bank's always open, right? For, you know, when, when you're playing basketball, and you're, we're, we're thinking, yeah, it's ridiculous, right? Really dumb, really stupid, absurd. And, but we were trying to think of that. And so when Jesus is bringing up the leaven, you know, he, he, he is using a really good connection for what they were distressed about this, but he's using that connection to be able to connect with this. That's one. The second thing, though, is that when we were having our members meeting, and those of you that are able to come, and if you're a member, I would really encourage you to come to a members meeting. Uh, you may not think that you have much to contribute there, but if you're a member, it's really good for you to know what is happening, what's going on, what God is doing with each of these ministries, um, how the money that you are contributing, uh, how, how God is leading us to spend it. You, you see what's going on? It's really good for you to be a part of that. But what I noticed, grow, noticed growing up, and I've, I've shared this on, in, a, in a few forums here, but when my dad was a deacon, and he had only been a deacon three or four years, and he had really only been a Christian about five. He, he was a deacon. He would tell you he could be a deacon a little too quick. And 
the the guy that was the treasurer also his name was the one that was on the property so he could do whatever he wanted with the property dumb diddy dumb diddy dumb 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 thing to do but and so he decided that he was just going to go off with no permission from anybody else pay off the loan now my dad who was the new guy was called to ask the question in business meeting you know what the question was Who gave you the authority to do that? And I'm telling you, this gentleman, and I hope he's with the Lord, he took some papers that he had in his hand, and he walked up to my father. I don't have to tell anybody what I'm doing. And my dad was a Christian at that point. If you had caught him five years earlier, it would have been been a melee. Because he would have not let anybody talk to him like that. So I always remembered, wow, in Sunday school, we always talked about Jesus. And in worship service, we talk about Jesus. And missions team, we talk about Jesus. We get into business meeting, it is a whole different vibe there. Because what's usually the number one thing that we talk about in business meeting? Money. And that's where the money, money is where the security is for a lot of people. They may not be distressed that we don't, we're not winning a lot of people to Jesus and they're not being used by God to win a lot of people to Jesus. But as long as we got money in the bank, we have security. Do you know how many churches all over this land are dying because they're dying, but they got money in the bank? I heard of a church that had 12 people, 13 teams, not kidding, 12 people, 13 teams, $500,000 in the bank. They thought they were fine. Because their security was, we got money in the bank. And it's not about how much money you have. It's not about how little you spend or how much. It's spending it rightly, spending it for God's kingdom. But here's the, here's the thing, is that we can talk. If, you're, if you are a materialist, and a lot of us are either active or latent materialists, where we think about right now what we have, what's in our pocket, what's in our bank account, what's in our church's bank account, what we have, what we have, what we have. Then everything, even spiritual things that are brought from the pulpit, from Sunday school, wherever, all of those things that are mentioned will be filtered through a materialist mindset to where even Jesus, when he is saying something, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, which means that they're bringing extra stuff in to ruin the yeast and the bread's going to be rotten. They're looking at it from a materialist Oh, he must be talking about the bread. He must be talking about this loaf. We do this all the time. And we're backwards on it. And so Jesus finally is just saying, you guys have completely missed the point. The point is not for us to be strong merely materially, but if we are strong materially to be able to use it for kingdom purposes. Not to simply make ourselves feel more secure. And so we have to be sure that when Jesus is talking here, yeah, here he is with the Pharisees. They say one thing. He's like, I'm out. But look at what he does here. And here's number four. Do you soak in his patience? Jesus is patient with his own. Because he didn't just say, you guys don't get it, I'm out. He stuck it, he hung in there with him, and he hung in there with him until the end, just like he'll hang in there with you. I can't, I can't believe I missed this lesson again. He's going to hang in there with you by his Holy Spirit. He's going to keep bringing you to that place until you get it, until you get it, until you get it. 
And then when you finally get it, there's going to be such regret that comes in because it's like, I can't believe I didn't get it the other 15,000 times. But here, there he is on 15,001. There he is. He's going to hang with you. And we need to see his patience. Do we know how patient he is? Well, let, let's see how patient he was with his people. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And they're probably like, because we have no bread. But no, he keeps going. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you, having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? That's why God gives us memories. Not simply for nostalgia purposes, but for lessons to remember when we've blown it. And his grace brings us to a place where we can learn that lesson again and follow him in strict obedience. Having eyes do not see, having ears do not hear, and do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces do you t- did you take up? And, and they knew the answer, right? Twelve. And the 4,000, how many broken pieces did you take up? Seven. I don't know how you would be, and I don't know how Jesus was. But answer those questions, and I can see Jesus doing this. Come on. (laughs) Come on. It's right there. Come on. And what is he doing? He's saying, don't you yet understand See, the disciples were right there front row with Jesus. They were still struggling with it. But I, I, don't, I, I know it's kind of a funny thing. And I know when we're talking about patience for us, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I know when we talk about, well, don't pray for patience because God's going to test you in it. And, you know, because why? Because we don't want anything hard to happen to us. Sometimes that's the only way we learn. That's the only way I learn is when something hard or difficult happens and it's like, knock. okay, I got it. But understand the point of his patience. I want you to hear very clearly Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You can look it up or you can hear me. Or do you, I'm going to read this slowly. I'm trying not to be pedantic and treat you like little children, I promise. Or do you presume on the riches of, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I guarantee you there's someone in this room that has said, Jesus has been talking about coming back for 2,000 years. And he hasn't done it yet. He's probably not coming back. And even if he is coming back, it's probably not going to be for a long time. So what's the hurry? Why not just fill up on all of the transgressions? Why not just fill up on all of our desires? It's going to be a while. I'll have plenty of time at the end to repent of all my sin on my deathbed. And I'll tell you something from this, this battery of funerals that we had back in October, September, October, November, not all of them died of old age. There were some of them that died tragically at a young age. That wasn't on their list of things to do that day. 
And when your time comes, it may not be on your list of things to do today. I hope not, because that means you have plans and we need to talk. God has been patient. And every so often I hear people say, well, God's patience is limitless. It's an unending patience. But because of your heart and impenitent heart, you're storing up for your wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. When people are talking about being, somebody being loaded, we used to have a joke, Scrooge McDuck loaded. He would used to take a bath. He was a cartoon character, and he used to take a bath in his money. That's Scrooge McDuck loaded. But when we talk about you, God being loaded, he is loaded with kindness. His patience is kind to you, opportunities given to you to repent. His forbearance and patience, massive. He is giving you so much room and so much opportunity for you to repent. Well, I don't feel like I need to repent of anything. I'm going to tell you, one day his light of his Holy Spirit is going to shine on your heart and you're going to see all the roaches that are running around there and you're going to see all the mess and the junk and you're going to be, oh, I can't believe that's there. I can't believe that's, oh. But the more you resist it, the harder your heart is becoming over time. And it's store, and you're storing up that wrath. I don't like thinking of God that way. It's not about what you like thinking about. It's what God is saying in his word that we need to be thinking about. But when you repent, your heart is softened by his redeeming grace. And when you begin to talk about the wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin, and you start singing about rock of ages cleft for me, be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath that made me pure, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. You, you hear all of that, and it's not just words on a screen or words on a on a page and you're looking at it like i know that song that's great they better sing it next week no you're looking at it now and you're like that's me he has rescued me from me and then suddenly you see that even in the midst of all that stuff that's going on he's revealed in you you also see that he is kind to let you know about it before that day of wrath and judgment occurs and here he is We come to the Lord's Supper, and we come to the Lord's Supper with his broken body and shed blood, reminding us of what it took to redeem us, the death of the perfect, holy Son of God. And as we enter into it, as I catch my breath, but as we enter into it, what are some things that Christ is bringing you back to so that you're going to understand? What's he doing? What's he bringing you back to? What's he telling you that you must do? Well, I'm good. No, you're not. If you say that you're, you're in a good spot, I'm, I'm all right. I know enough Bible, I'm all right. Beware. Beware, beware, beware. He is crouching at the door because you are venturing into pride territory, and that is a bad bad place to be because that means you think you've got to figure it out you don't need him as much you need every bit of god that you can get 
You need every bit of Jesus and every bit of the Holy Spirit that you can get. Is there sin that you need to confess? Then do so. He already knows it. Confess it. Humble yourself before him. Is there a relationship here in this church or somewhere that you need to restore? Is there some attitude that you have that needs changing? Or is he showing you that you need to surrender your all to him as Lord and Savior, that you can't do it on your own? You can't. And if you try to do it on your own, it is flat out exhausting. But when you come to that place where you realize, I can't, but he can, and he's willing, and he's able, and I, I trust in you, oh, oh, the freedom that you will have in him. I'm going to pray. And as we pray, I'm, I'm going to just ask you to get your mind and heart ready to receive the Lord's Supper. If you followed if you're a follower of Christ and you have followed him in, in believer's baptism, that basic step of obedience, that's the confession of faith. It's not just coming up here and talking to me. The confession of faith is baptism. If you've done that, then we ask you to partake of this. If you haven't yet, see what he's done for you. This is what it took to redeem you of your sin, and this is what he's done on your behalf. So, Heavenly Father, as we pray, as we partake. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your forbearance. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for redeeming us by your blood for the redemption of our sins. Thank you for reminding us that without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us to your table. This is not Arapahoe Road's table. This is the Lord's table. And as we partake of this, Father, may we take the opportunity. May we take the opportunity to confess what needs to be confessed and repent moving forward. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Allow me, if you will, to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Although this is later in the New Testament, this is actually the first time where the, where, where the how to do the elements and, and such, this is the first place, the first time that it was written down was in 1 Corinthians 11. And one of the things that we're going to be looking at here when we talk about the, uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper is um, I see that you're going to be playing beneath the cross of Jesus. Well, this is what I would like for us to do. Um, we're, you're going to see a little, I'm going to pull the curtain back just for a bit. Would you be able to pull the words up to beneath the cross of Jesus? I'll give you some time. And I'd like, I think there's a, there can be a, an appropriate way for us to be able to sing it. So sing it. Take, a, take the, the cup, sing another verse, take the, take the bread, sing another verse, take the cup, and then we sing that last verse together. But while, there, while, while we're doing all of that, I want us to take just a couple of minutes to make sure that we are having an opportunity to confess our sins before him so that we are taking this rightly.
So let's just take some time as Diane plays through the tune of Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Let's take time to pray. If you need to come up here and pray, do it. If you need to pray there, wherever it is, just let's just take time to make sure that we are that our sins are confessed. So it's beneath the cross of Jesus. Vain would take my stand. Okay. Let's uh, let's confess. Now that we have taken time to and finished confessing sin and being having our hearts made right before the Lord, let's sing that first verse again and making sure that we're all able to sing this together. Let's sing this. Beneath the cross of Jesus, I First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if, this belongs to, if you belong to Christ, this belongs to you. Let's sing that second stanza. Upon the cross of 
same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me if you belong to Christ then this belongs to you let's sing the last one is there one that starts I take Oh, cross. Let's sing the third one. <laughs> That's, yeah, I take I didn't know there was four verses. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I take, oh, cross my shadow. my sinful self, my only shame, though may we glory in your cross. In Jesus' name, amen.